You are now tuned in to the December 26er podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26ers, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delicia, and this episode features Carlos Barksdale, founder and CEO of Luya. Luya provides health and high-quality personal care, beauty, and grooming products from brands that consumers can trust. During our chat, Carlos breaks down why we, especially as people of color, should pay closer attention to the personal care brands that we use. Carlos not only knows his stuff, but he is also very driven despite whatever circumstances may surround him. That drive can be traced all the way back to Memphis, Tennessee, where he grew up, and is evident in how he handled being a high school student in the very different world of Phillips, Academy Andover, and Harvard Secondary School. And the story of Carlos's drive does not stop there. There. But I'll let you hear for yourself. So please take a listen and enjoy. Carlos, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Thanks for being here and being early and ready to go and excited. I try to be punctual whenever possible. Listen, I'm down with the punctual. <laughs> so let's jump into it. Tell yeah. us who is Carlos Barksdale? Carlos Barksdale is a guy who gets the job done at all costs, no matter what, just finds a way to get it done. I like that. Yeah. And in this day and age, especially of people of color, you have to have that personality um, yeah. and that that can do attitude and persistence. And you've gotten a lot done. So let's yeah. start to unpack that, um, the different ways in which you've accomplished your goals over the years. So tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about your background. Yeah. So originally I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, 901. You know, I got to show love to the hometown. Um, so. Memphis, went to White Station High School. I uh, love my high school. Got to shout them out as well. Came up here to New York City back in 2010. Went to Columbia University where I studied engineering. Um, studied industrial engineering there and entrepreneurship. Really didn't like uh, industrial engineering as much. And, uh, you know, just a lot of like math and physics going on. Wasn't really in love with it. But I found entrepreneurship as a minor there. And I found the, the classes to be really practical, really, uh, I would just say modern, um, just a, a, just like made a lot of sense to me. It really spoke to me. Um, and I really saw myself going down that route. So after college, I found my way to a few startups, worked at a VC firm here in New York City, um, six or five ventures that actually owned by two black partners, nice. now I'm being Aaron, and um, really just kind of found my way traversing through that, that kind of like professional landscape. Did did management consulting for a year in 2017 in D.C. actually. Um, liked it, didn't love it, and I knew I wanted to kind of like have a, do more, have a higher purpose. Um, so I left there, came back to New York City, kind of feeling my way out, and entrepreneurship kind of spoke to me. So eventually that came to me founding, founding Luya after, after a while. Okay, so we're going to unpack a lot of those chapters. Yeah. But I want to start with you coming from Tennessee to New yeah. York City to go to school. Yeah. And not any, just any school, but Columbia, which yeah. we all know is, you know, it's a competitive institution. It is. So did you know early on, like, I want to do engineering and I want to go to a top school? Did you figure that out early in the process? Yes. Let me back it up. So mm -hmm. my family, we come from uh, Mississippi originally, right? Mm -hmm. My grandma on my mom's side, we're from, we're from like Victoria, Mississippi, like dirt roads, like nothing special, like red mud for real. You know are what I'm saying? Are there stoplights? Um, well, that's a great question. Because <laughs> when you start talking <laughs> about red mud and dirt roads. That's a great question. I don't think I've ever seen a stoplight in this, in this town. Wow. You know, so that's how my grandma 
my grandma grew up, she was a sharecropper. Mm-hmm. So and they, they came to Memphis just kind of like looking for new jobs, more opportunities. Um, so we kind of came from the, from that background. Grew up my family, my mom, her sisters, her siblings. They all grew up five of them Memphis, Tennessee, um, in this in this um, community called Orange Mountain, which is like super well known in Memphis, right? Super black historically. Um, had a huge like black like market, a huge black economy back in the day. And now, you know, it's become more of like an urban, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of hood. You know, it is what it is. Um, but it's where I come from. And so growing up, my uncle was actually a huge influence for me and my aunt. And my uncle, again, my family come from Mississippi, like not very much, but he was the first person in our family to go to college. So you had an uncle who went to, who went to college. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's about he's about 20 years older than me. Wow. 16, 16 years older than me. Um, but he went to MIT. Really? Yeah. So he set the, the bar super high. Mm-hmm. And my aunt, all of a few a few years after, she went to TSU for undergrad. And then like Vanderbilt for grad school, got her PhD from Clark. So wow. again, just like set the bar super high. Um, and kind of going back to high school, they were in this program called Memphis Prep when we were when we were in high school. And Memphis Prep essentially takes like kind of like the uh, top performing like minority black students around the city and sends them off to prep school. Right. So they were in it back in like the 90s, late 80s. I was in it, you know, 2008, 2009. And so when I got in it, I got I went to Phillips Academy Andover in Massachusetts after my sophomore year of high school. And then I went to Harvard after my junior high school. And that like opened my eyes up like you know what I'm saying? Like, what's really out here? So how so how did you end up at Harvard? So <laughs> the way the program works is like we send a group of kids to each prep school every year or mm-hmm. every summer. And usually it's like a probably minimum of three, a maximum of like 12 to 15. The bigger programs are like, are like Andover and Exeter. Harvard is a much more selective program for our, for our, for Memphis Prep. And it's kind of like they send like who they kind of like feel like would perform the best or like who they just kind of like like the best. You know, it's like... um. So I was kind of like the guy chosen that year to, to go. So let's let's I want to talk about this a little okay. bit, because when you think about your grandmother, like mm-hmm. not your great grandmother, not great, great. And I think this is sometimes lost on other people yeah. who aren't us. Like for real. That we're not that far removed at all, you know, from uh, racism is still alive and well. But, you know, mm-hmm. Jim Crow, yeah. sharecropping and even slavery. Like yeah. and when you think about the change that can happen from one generation to the next. So your grandmother was a sharecropper and then mm-hmm. your uncle is at MIT. Is at MIT. And you know it, it speaks to our resilience mm-hmm. and I we talk about this a lot on the show our ancestors sometimes having the foresight like yeah. not even have been exposed to prestigious institutions or opportunities but saying I'm going to help my kids I'm going to do whatever I can can so my kids and my grandchildren have a better opportunity. And when yeah. you think about that it makes the day-to-day problems minuscule. Yeah, I mean, I think you're speaking to something that's like really important, like kind of like taking that leap mm-hmm. from generation to generation. And one thing that's like unique about my family is I would love to say, you know, my grandparents pushed my uncle to mm-hmm. college and boom, but that wasn't the case. You know, they mm-hmm. come from Mississippi. They know they know the mud. They know how to work hard and just kind of, and, you know, and just make it, right? Yeah. Um, but my grandmother, like, barely finished high school. Mm-hmm. She was not a fan of education. Um, only three, two out of three of that, of my uncles and, and aunts in that circle, like, went to, went to school. So my uncle really had to persevere and find yeah. it within himself and, like, identify the opportunity himself to, to kind of go outside of Memphis and find MIT. My grandma didn't find Memphis Prep. Like, he found it. He applied to Princeton mm-hmm. and, and MIT. He did all these things. He just 
I think he just took the drive that they had and just instilled it in his own life to like take the path that he wanted to take. You know, my mom, she didn't she didn't go to college, but she worked her butt off and, you know, and found my, my dad and they married and like they worked their butts off mm -hmm. to like be where they are. You know what I'm saying? So it kind of applied in, in different different ways. And I think for me, you know, I, I just kind of see this having no excuses. You know, my grandma literally picked cotton, like literally. Literally. And I, I talk to my grandma every day. Like this isn't like, a, like I say, like a, a back in the day, like she alive right right now. Um, my uncle saw the opportunity, went to MIT, has a great job, has a family. And so I'm just like, yo, like what's my impact going to be on our family's legacy? Like what's my next step? And so I'm not saying I got to be this like ball and I'll build or whatever, but um, I gotta, I gotta do more. I gotta feel. I gotta keep making those leaps and bounds for our generation, for my, for the family. Absolutely. But you know, going back to your uncle, mm -hmm. clearly he had to go home and say, "Mom, you know, or Mama, right? Yeah, I, I found this program, Memphis Prep." Yeah. that I wanted to go to. And even if she didn't have the understanding of what that meant and yeah. the op opportunities and the doors that it can open, at some point she had to have said, okay, you know, like I'm mm -hmm. not necessarily, uh, I don't have the education. I'm about work. You know, we get mm -hmm. up and work. But at some point she had to get behind him, even if she didn't understand it, to allow him to to spread his wings in that way. And, and that's yeah. where I think, you know, we owe them certain honor and gratitude yeah. even if it, even even if education wasn't her thing she did not try to hold him back there right you know so yeah. I, I think that's where I I give the nod even in those situations um that they invest in us in the ways that they knew how yeah you know? and I think just how like the belief in us uh, mm -hmm. allow us to do our own thing right like my family, they don't understand. Like my, my mom and dad don't love this entrepreneurship and like <laughs> startup life. Like for them, they've been working 20 plus years, right. you know, at their jobs. And like they that's they love that. And it's the generational like changes. So yeah. grandparents generation, it was like maybe go to high school. Maybe. Yeah. Right? You know, my grandparents didn't go to high school. Oh, wow. But, you know, OK, so their kids, they might have said, OK, finish high school mm -hmm. and then get you a good job. Yeah. You know, a union job or work for some good white folks. You know, mm -hmm. you, you hear that and and keep that job as long as you can. So mm -hmm. that was, you know, their that parental generation. Then you have our parents, not all, um, but a, a, a lot of them sort of see it as, OK, go to school, yeah. but get a good corporate job, yeah. get a pension, mm -hmm. stay there for 20 to 30 years mm -hmm. and let that be your safety net. Yeah. Our generation, <laughs> <laughs> totally there are not many of us who have any intention of staying at any job for that long or even five years. It's just not how we operate. Yeah. And further, it's not how these companies operate. Not at all. So A, we're not staying at jobs um, as long as we used to. And then B, many of us have entrepreneurial aspirations yeah. that not all parents are going to understand. That generation, they just don't understand putting all your resources behind something yeah. and saying, I hope this works. I'm going to I'm going to roll the dice. Yeah, I think it's also important to point out that like each generation has the, the opportunity to observe the generation before them. Yes. And see what they like and what they don't like mm -hmm. um and i think that's where a lot of like tension comes like these days or probably maybe always mm -hmm. because it's like my parents are like yo we got the model right right now we've right. been working we got a nice house we raised you you a good kid like just do what we did you know um but we have the opportunity to see like how they kind of came up how they grew up and say you know i like the fact that you make that you're making money and that you kind of like have this mobility i don't like the fact that you like are tired after work every day and you sleep on the weekends and you don't travel as much boom right. boom and so even me i have to have like, a real conversation with my parents about i think last year mm -hmm. to just be like yo i'm not like y'all and that was like a real like hard face-to-face -face conversation. Like, yo, I love y'all. Y'all raised me, but I'm nothing like y'all. I don't care about being at a job for more than five years. 
I don't really care about, you know, um, getting married like right right now mm-hmm. or buying a house right right now or living by myself right right now. Like I'm trying to build my vision for the future. I'm trying to create impact. I'm trying to create change. And that's not always going to look like working for this corporation or this job for X amount of years. Sometimes it's going to look like a lot of instability. And instability sure. scares the heck out of my parents. But for me, I thrive in it. You know, for me, that's all I know. I, I uproot myself when I get too comfortable. And I'm just like, yo, let's let's do something new. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, where, where can I throw myself today? Um, because it's just getting too comfortable for me. But I also really recognize the value in that stability, right? Because that stability is what got me here. Right. That stability uh, is kind of what gave me the values that I lean on when I don't know what to do. And that's why I tell, like, I had a conversation with my cousin, um, like, last week. She's a freshman builder right now. And I'm like, yo, you're in college now. You're a young female. A lot's about to happen. Mm-hmm. You're going to be throwing a lot of stuff. But when you, like, don't know what to do, fall back on what you do know. And for sure, my uncle has given her value, stability, just kind of like morals to fall back on. So you can change, you can shift, but change as you want to, don't be forced into change. But when you don't know what to do, just fall back on what you know, because that's what got you here in the first place. That's great advice. And you know you're probably speaking from experience yeah, too, for sure. And I actually want to go back to you being this kid from Memphis. I you know I grew up in the Northeast. I mm. know people who went to these prep boarding school situations. Yeah. It I considered it. Didn't want to go that route, but because mm. of the schools I went to before high school, that's where everybody went. They went to the Exeters, the Choates, uh-huh. et cetera. So yeah. what was that like for you? Did you feel a sense of belonging or did you feel like an outsider in those situations? Man, it was amazing. Really? It was amazing. It was my first time like being away from home by myself. I was 16 when I got to Andover. And, um, you know, growing up as a kid, watching movies, um, just watching TV shows. I'm always been a big fan of like, how can I say this? Like of like history mm-hmm. and of just like tradition. And that's what those schools like look like to me. Um, Granted, we can talk about American history, American, like, you know, whatever another day. But just like from a from a blind, you know, just like young standpoint, it was it was beautiful. I'd never seen a campus like that. I'd never seen lawns those big. Um, I'd never walked into a cafeteria and heard kids like speaking so many different languages, so many different shades and so many different colors um, from so many different backgrounds. And just seeing like how I was positioned in this like global landscape. When you were Memphis, you were Memphis. <laughs> right. like, let me be very clear. When you were Memphis, you you know what I'm saying? You got your ways. You look like this. You don't, you know, you don't do this. But in Andover or at these prep schools, I had this like freedom to learn from others, to learn from my from my teachers, to learn from the environment, um, but also to instill culture in those around me. Mm-hmm. And you kind of see that like, dang, everybody don't live the same. Right. Everybody don't iron their clothes in the morning. <laughs> Everybody, you know what I'm saying, don't know Not how to Not everybody has the mean creases in You know what I'm saying? Shoes. I thought everybody got creases. <laughs> like, you don't, you don't iron? Like, no lie. Like, okay, I'll never forget this. When I was my freshman year at Columbia, I, I didn't have an iron at all. My hair broke or something like that. And so I asked this girl in my dorm, I'm like, yo, can I borrow your iron? And she said, no, nah, I'm not that fancy. And I said, what? An iron is fancy? I didn't know either. I'm like, what? <laughs> and like, you know, just like this girl was obviously just a, more well out than I was, you know, you know, you could just tell. But the fact that she didn't iron, it was just like, wow. Like you don't iron your clothes. Like growing up, if I didn't iron my clothes, my mom and my grandma would Have smack the heck out of me. I it, it, I just default to it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, 
And so just going beyond the, beyond the culture difference, it's like, man, like I just love being in that environment because it just opened my eyes up to like the global landscape. And um, I just like saw how, frankly, confined my thoughts were sure. to my surroundings in Memphis. Um, and I started to question, you know, why I thought the way I thought or why I just the way I did or why didn't, why didn't I know as much about these African nations or these, or these European nations as they knew about us. Mm-hmm. And that was weird for me, you know, and I, and I got a chance to see like, man, this world is, is great and vast and big. And if I want to be the best, I got, I got to compete with the best. Right. And I got a chance to see like what the best looks like and what they do and what they sound like, you know. Um, and not that those kids were any better than me. They were just different. Right. You know, and I think it's important for kids from Memphis, from, you know, all these especially these inner cities, you know, like these Alabama, Cincinnati's, whatever, St. Louis, um, to really leave and see like how you compare and stack up against other cultures around the world. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was everything, man. It literally opened my eyes up and it made me like want to work harder. You know, I thought I was doing good in school, but I remember I was at Harvard and uh, do you know about AP classes? Yes. Right. So Harvard was after my junior year and going into my senior year, I was going to, I was registered for like, I think two AP classes and she's talking and we're doing homework together. She's like, yeah. She, she's coming doing her senior too. She's like, yeah, I just finished my five AP classes last year. I'm taking eight next year, blah, blah. I'm just like, hold on, hold on. And you're I'm like, sorry. I got my two. That's 13. <laughs> Before you graduate, I took an AP class and a pre-AP class junior year, and I got two next year. I'm like, hold on, hold on. So just that conversation alone, which is 30 seconds, I literally went back to school that fall and reorganized my my schedule the first day and added on like three more AP classes. Mm-hmm. Um and in order to do so, I actually had I had to drop out of a required class economics that was during school hours. And I took economics after hours at a community college. So I had nine really? classes. Yeah, my 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 senior, my senior fall. Cause I was serious. I'm like, oh, if I want to go here, I, I gotta I gotta really perform. So I gotta stop playing games. I thought I was doing doing good. I gotta do great actually. You know what I'm saying? So when I talk about getting it done, that's what I'm talking about. Like when when a school tells you, cause you gotta take economics to graduate, you can't take this AP class. Like, nah, I, I'm gonna take the AP class. We gotta figure got this economics thing somehow. Right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so that's that kind of hustle and grind that I kind of got from Memphis that, that I take everywhere with me. So how did you navigate the financial aspect of, and I'm not even talking about tuition. I know those programs are designed to put you in those environments outside of your economic circumstance. But like one of the things that I recall from, you know, being at Penn mm-hmm. and being in prep school before high school is that everybody had money. Yeah. So like the resources that these kids had were unlimited. Like yeah. they were living the life balling mm-hmm. in a way that I had not experienced and knew I wasn't going to experience anytime soon. Did you feel any of that? Like the pressure of not having what they had. You know, one thing I'll say is that I realized that going to those kind of institutions make you realize where you fall mm-hmm. in the chain of wealth. Yes. And it really puts your pockets in perspective. Mm hmm. Um, just cause you got J's in your feet or whatever, like <laughs> I'm telling you, cause I remember, I ain't gonna say no names, but, um, what was it? Harvard? Yeah. Harvard, man, was like my first time really having, so Andover was great, but we didn't have as quite a, as much freedom. Harvard was the ultimate freedom. We didn't have any curfew. You know, we just had co-ed dorms. It was like, it was, it was life. So senior year, you're living like a college kid, basically. Oh, I'm living life at Harvard, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. <laughs> I'm living life. Um, but in, in my friend group, we were super diverse. No one was from the same, co- not same country, because we, because there were a few Americans, but no one was the same race, mm-hmm. ethnicity. Um, and we were all from different socioeconomic backgrounds. And I saw for the first time, like, yo, y'all got money. Like money, money. Like you just went and dropped 5000 on a pair of loafers. 
at, at, at the mall in the city. And now you outside riding a bike with them on. And I'm in here with my, you know, with my loafers or whatever. You know what I'm saying? My, what, what, were, the, what were the shoes back in the day? Sperry's. Yes. <laughs> my Sperry's on, you know, and they, and they leaning sideways. And, I'm like, <laughs> and I thought I was really out here doing something. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I realized, yo, like, I thought, you know, we were doing good. And we are doing good. Don't right, get me wrong. Like, right. we're doing very well in Memphis. But, like, y'all balling. Like, y'all pay for this outright. This is no credit. I watched some cars and you know and did some and cut some some grass for this. Like you didn't do you showed up here and you was ready to go. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like Yeah, man. Like I yeah, I saw like like what wealth really is. And that was also like another motivation because I saw like, yo, there's a there's a lifestyle that um that I never like never knew really existed. I didn't think was really attainable. But now this is my homie. Like the guy with all that wealth, his mm-hmm. family, like we 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 live in the same room together. We we taking the same classes. We here together. So if you got there, then I can get there. And maybe it's not a matter of like wealth, like money. Maybe like it's just like knowledge and access and resources. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's like just like knowing to travel and right. what that looks like. You know what I mean? And just how to, and just like occupying these spaces. You can't occupy what you, what you don't know exists. But you know what I love about you and your story is some people will you know be placed in those environments and f- like flame out like. Mm-hmm. They, they can't take, you know, I'm not in an environment where everybody's my equal. We're not all the same. We don't all speak the same language figuratively or, you know, literally. Um, and I just can't do it. Like, right. I didn't realize people were this rich or people had this many AP classes. Like, I was mm-hmm. at the top of my game back home. Right. And they don't stick it out. But for you... Um, what I appreciate and respect about your story is that you saw it as opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I think it's dope being a hometown hero, but like, how big of a hero are you if you don't if you don't leave your hometown? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, are are you the best? Are you are you, or are you the best of those around you? And that was my that was my biggest thing. Like when that girl told me about those, those AP classes, I was like, oh, okay, like you know, I'm doing good in Memphis. I'm doing good in my high school, but like, am I doing good against this global landscape? If I say I want to be the best, if I say I want to be, let's say even rich or like well-known or whatever, I'm going up against y'all. I'm going up against them. I'm not going up against just my hometown. I'm going up against them and everybody else. So it's like really having a confidence and just like, um, just a willingness to just kind of test yourself and Mm -hmm. throw yourself in the water. You get, you, you gotta be vulnerable. You gotta put yourself out there. I I really, I truly believe that. And I try to do that as much as possible. So, okay. So you come through, Phillips, you come through Harvard. Yeah. Decide on Columbia. Mm-hmm. What made you choose industrial engineering? That's a great question. Um, so I just kind of like knew growing up the engineers made decent money. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I was all about making money when I was going to college. And um I initially, and I knew there, there was a deficit of like black engineers, you know, in like the engineering landscape. And so I just like saw, okay, this makes sense. You know, like I want to make money. I'm going to college. I want like a, a really good skill set, do engineering. When I went to Columbia, I was actually set on doing computer science. Okay. Computer scientists had made money. It was good money. It was a great skill to have. And I actually did computer science for my AP class in two years in high school, actually. And I was good at it. We coded in Java. Um, when I got to Columbia, didn't enjoy it as much. Okay. It just wasn't clicking for me. I wasn't passionate about it anymore. And I was staying up to like 2, 3 a.m. 
and still like not getting the work done and like not really understanding it. And I'm like, man, this ain't for me. Like, but at this point, I'm already in, in the engineering school. And the way Columbia is broken down, we're broken down to like colleges, right? So you got Columbia College, which is um, liberal arts, mm-hmm. Columbia Engineering, engineering. You got Barnard, which is the um, all women's school. And they're my in general studies, which is like for non-traditional students, right? Um, I'm already in the engineering program. So I'm like, man, what else can I do? And when I consulted my friend, my friend Melvin, shout out to Melvin, he uh, came from Morehouse. He, he did 3-2. He was doing, I think, um, mechanical engineering. And he was, and I was having a conversation. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm not, I'm just not feeling it. This comp side thing ain't working out. I ain't sleeping. I don't understand the work. He's like, yeah, you know, Carlos, I don't really see you as like a computer scientist being behind a computer all day. He was like, you know, like check out this, this, this industrial engineering. It's a, it's a much more broad. You study business, you study economics, you study engineering systems, operations, supply chain. I feel like it's much more of like your like diverse personality. Um, and he was right. And what I realized, man, is that in this world, there's space for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can think that like being the computer scientist is the best thing. And that's, oh, if I don't do this, it's, it's over. But like, no, there's a space for someone who does industrial. There's a space for an entrepreneur. There's a space for computer scientists. It's just a matter of like finding the route that speaks to you the most and exploiting it. You know, and just being passionate about it, being real about it um, and really pursuing it. Um, So I think in that moment, I just kind of saw that like computer science wasn't an end all be all. And ironically enough, what I did know at the time is that industrial engineering and actually the the department at Columbia is called IEOR. So it's Mm -hmm. industrial engineering and operations research. It's actually the biggest engineering department at Columbia. Oh, wow. So like the majority of the engineering students are there for that or or filter into that. Um, And from there, we actually go into like all kinds of fields like industry engineering, obviously, supply chain operations, but also a lot of people go into finance. A lot of people go into like consulting. Um, and then as of late, people are more and more going to entrepreneurship. So it was like just broader, right? A mile wide, an inch deep, which is perfect for me. Got it. So you're getting this diverse experience mm-hmm. and you add the entrepreneurship aspect as a minor. Yeah. At that point, was the seed planted like I may want to run my own company one day? Yeah, um, there's this one class in particular I took. So entrepreneurship is a new minor at Columbia. Um, to date, it's probably about seven years old, but back then, about two or three years old. And I took this one class taught by Jerry Newman, um, where he would bring in entrepreneurs every class to talk about the entrepreneurship entrepreneurial journey. And class was about an hour, or two, class was actually two hours. So first hour would be the entrepreneur talking to us. The second hour would be us learning about some kind of entrepreneurial topic like market sizing or marketing or product development, all, all this great stuff. And hearing from the entrepreneurs, man, it was just like eye-opening because they just created these entities from ideas. And that's what I consider myself to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something I was kind of doing at the time, actually, with the frat. And I didn't even realize it, you know, but it just it was such a practical thing standpoint for me, you know, of like creating a business, impacting people, impacting the landscape and kind of putting your idea out there in the market and seeing if it's viable. Like, does it make sense? Do people spend, spend enough money in this to make it a thing? Right. And then just like, OK, once you figure that out, the curative aspect behind like actually building it, it was just like I loved it. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, um, I started to explore the world of like venture capital and VC and raising money and, and what it looks like to like fund these businesses and fund these entrepreneur, entrepreneurs. And um, yeah, it, it just it just, it just made so much sense. I was like, oh, okay, this is it. I was like, this is me. Mm-hmm. I, I just got to find my way. So did I, did I know I want, to, I want to be an entrepreneur at that time? I mean, I can't say no to that. You know, I didn't have an idea in mind per se. Um, I might I might be working on something small, but I knew I wanted to go into, into that kind of like sphere of entrepreneurship and startup ecosystem. 
you know? Right. So that's that's where the seed was like really, really planted. It's like, okay, this is me right here. Okay, so you graduate from Columbia. Yeah. And your first job is? Student.com. Student.com. Okay, I, and what were you doing there? So Student.com, I was doing business development partnerships. So we actually helped international students find housing when they studied abroad. So coming over, so coming here from abroad, um, most of our clients are from China. There are a lot of barriers that they experience, language barriers. Um, they don't have a social security number, so application is kind of crazy for them. So we made that process very easy for them. I, I actually worked on the supply side. Okay. So I would go out and I would find real estate owners and real estate de developers slash managers and um, convince them to host their open inventory on our site Got for it. students to rent from. So that was awesome. Super diverse company, um, offices in U.S., China, and London. And people spoke, I think, 18 to 24 languages across wow. the entire company. So that was, that was awesome. So you stayed there for how long? I stayed there for about two years. Oh, so, okay, so you're there for two years. Yeah. Was it a conscious decision like, all right, now I need to do something else, considering your personality? No, nah, man, unfortunately, I got laid off. You got laid off. So yeah. this is the other, I, I want to unpack this, because this is the other side of like startups and young companies. Yeah, man. That that's risky in that they have their their VC funding, mm -hmm. you know, they're they're rocking and rolling. But often that runway is short and, yeah. you know, the burn rate can be high, um, especially when you're talking about those models where there is that big biz dev component where you've mm -hmm. got to go out and find, you know, find the suppliers or find the, the customers. So you got laid off. Yeah. And let me just tell that story, because to this day, I'm honestly. So this is what happened. Um, Student.com, they raised a good amount of money. Mm -hmm. And. For those who are nervous about going to a startup, make sure your startup is well funded. Yes. That's that's the number one thing. Unless you just just like been in the landscape and you like know like, oh, this is gonna work out. If if you have any kind of hesitation, but you wanna work at a startup, go to one that has funding, has money, has runway, raise 50 mil plus, like let's say, and look at the size of the company and just kind of do some math. If people are making an average of 60K a year and they got, you know, a mil in the bank, how, like from paying those salaries to like paying for operations, how long can they really keep the company open? Right. Just, just basic math. Um, but for student.com, they had raised money. It was a good, it was a good feeling. They had, they were, we were expanding to the U.S. market. So it was a part for me to be, to be a part of this global expansion team. It just made so much sense. It was, it was, it was beautiful. Literally one day, I just come into the office. So one day, um, my, my senior manager puts a meeting on my calendar for the, for the next morning. And it was odd because we, we had just had a one-on-one. -on -one. So I'm like, okay, maybe you just want to talk again, whatever. So I come in next morning. Our meeting is at like 10. I get in at like 9. But I get in, he, he asked me straight to the room. And um, I, so I'm like, okay, cool. Like, let's have a meeting now. He's like, yo, so, sorry to tell you this, but, you know, I got to let you go today, blah, blah. It turns out they actually lay off half the company that half day. the company so I walk I walk out of the meeting and there's a, there's a girl crying in a corner and she had been she had been there a little longer than I had so it wasn't just it wasn't a, a, a me thing it was a company-wide thing like they laid off half the company like in a day wow. and I was just like mind-blown and to this day I have no idea really like kind of really what happened mm -hmm. I mean obviously it's a financial thing um and I guess you know you could say they were burning through burning the runway too quickly but we, we had just hired people. We were still hiring people. I have no idea what happened to this day, but it really freaked me out. I'm not going to front. It really freaked me out. And I went through a really like tough time period in my life. So you did know. you have, were you banking money? Like, did you have uh, money put aside or something? No. <laughs> I would keep I mean, it real, y'all. I job. feel like I knew the answer, but I had to no, ask the question. I didn't yes. have that much money set aside. You know what I'm saying? I was paying rent, and I was out here. I was traveling and paying student loans back. Right. You know, um, 
and I, I wasn't in finance. You know, I'm not working in finance. I'm not work, I'm not making six figures. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm making startup salary. And so I, I went through a really hard and like tough time period um, of my life like during all those next few months because it took me by total surprise. Mm-hmm. You know, I plan to be there for much longer to really ruin my career there and just coming coming in being blindside blind like like that one day um, and, and being well. I guess I, I had to, I really question you know, this path of going out startups. Cause I'm like, yo, they just raised all this money and they like, let me go and have the company. Maybe just thought about it isn't really it. And so I started trying to go into like these more traditional routes mm-hmm. of like finance, really finance in particular and like consulting. And um, it was hard. It's hard to make that kind of like um, jump between industries. Absolutely. So what, did, how long were you laid off first and foremost? I guess officially laid off for real, like three months. Okay. So not too bad. Another job. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I had like a little side job, not a side job, but I found like a little sales job to hold me over after that. Okay. So you got a sales job. So you weren't out here like completely destitute. Yeah. Nah. Um, I still have my apartment and stuff. Um, and then I found this consulting job in DC. Mm-hmm. At this boutique firm. Um, And it was kind of like what I was looking for. You know, it was like a consulting, a more traditional route. And I was like, you know what, Carlos, you've been trying your, your hand at this whole startup thing. It didn't work out. Sit down, you know, take a, take a step back, you know, go this more like safer route. Right. Um, make this money and uh, and you're going to be OK. Um, and one thing going back. So that little time period in between being laid off in the consulting role, I think uh, I definitely want to talk about as well, because that's that 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 sales job that I had was t- was terrible. What were you I selling? I was selling software. Okay. I was selling software to small businesses. Um, I don't want to name the company, but, um, you know, it was just tough because I had to swallow my pride and I had to go in and work a job that I hated every day. So were you cold calling? Cold calling. Oh, that's the worst. Cold calling like a hundred people a day. And what kind of software was it? It was, what kind of software was it? That's a, good, that's a great question. You're like, it was so bad. I don't even remember what kind of software it was. It was essentially good software to help small businesses get more um, customer feedback and like customer views. Okay. And you were selling that to small businesses? Yeah. So I was co-calling small business around the country. Okay. Define small. Like what, like revenue, revenue wise. I mean, I would guess they were probably doing like definitely less than, less than a million a year. Less than so a million. So I was calling like, like flower shops, like, well, maybe, maybe more than a million, depending on who it was. Um, moving companies, any kind of like service-based mm-hmm. businesses I was calling. And trying to get them to buy into this software to get more customer feedback. Yeah. And just to get like more, more reviews online so that they can get found easier, be like the preferred mm-hmm. go-to place. Palmer in the area, the, the preferred floors in the area. So basically yeah. to them, you're making these cold calls. You probably sound like a spammer a little bit. Like, yeah, you know. 100%. Okay. 100%. And were you like trying to book sales appointments? Or you were trying to literally get them to buy in over the phone? Yeah, I was trying to hand them off to a more senior okay. sales associate. Um, That's a yeah. terrible, terrible job. Yeah, it's terrible, man. And it's such a grind. And, I, it's, and the thing about it, and I might be wrong about this, but I'm a person, I try. Mm-hmm. You put something in front of me, I'm going to try to do it. You know what I'm saying? If, if, if I know it's a means to an end. No matter how hard I try to this job, right. it just was not getting better. Like, I was just like, my efforts were not correlating to results. And I, and I and I hated that the most. Right. I could get in early. I could leave late. I could do, you know, research or whatever, get feedback after hours. It just wasn't translating. Um. So, yeah, man, it was a really, I would say, like, kind of like down and like dark time for me during like those, like, I think six months between like my two main jobs um yeah and the thing about that that story of like starting in 
sales in that position is common, especially with yeah. tech companies, anything that requires um, trying client acquisition or customer acquisition. Mm-hmm. Most people start on the phones. But yeah. like, just think about personally when you get those calls, like, what do you do? Like, not interested, click immediately. Right. So to do that day in and day out and coming off of a position that you really liked yeah. and, and a, at a company you believed in and thought could grow. It's that was gotta, powerful. Yeah, it's, it, it has to have a significant impact on you. Yeah, and, it, and it, but at that time, it was a matter of just like making a way and finding mm-hmm. a way, you know, and just like hustling till because I knew the next thing was coming. I talk about this with my friends a lot. It's like, you know, when you're like going through something, like something that's like bad, or like you're having a hard time and you know it's going to end, but right now you're in it. Right. You know, I know it's going. I know it's going to get better, but right now I'm really in it. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And unfortunately, like knowing it's going to get better doesn't make it right now any less difficult. And that's right. kind of just where I was. And I mean, that's an honesty that I can appreciate, right? And I think as a people, we're people of faith often. Mm-hmm. And um, especially those of us who have Southern roots. So you come from that, you know, trouble don't last always type families for the most part. Yeah. And it's going to get better. Joy is going to come in the morning. And all that is great and yeah. true. The chapter always changes. But when you are in the thick mm-hmm. of just not knowing what's next and not knowing what the opportunity is going to be and how long you're going to have to, like, do this job that you can't stand. Right. It just does not feel good. And it, it is hard to stay up. You know, and yeah. stay motivated. I mean, it's, I mean, I was depressed mm-hmm. straight up. I was depressed. Like it was, a, it was my first time in my life, like truly being depressed. You know what I'm saying? And like people that know me, I'm not like a person who's easy to like get down. I'm usually very high energy. Um, but I was like in a real funk because you start to question yourself sometimes. Because I'm going on interviews. Because again, I'm trying to jump into finance, right? Mm-hmm. Finance is a whole different beast, especially New York City. So. I'm going to them. I'm like, yo, I got Columbia on my resume. I got these. I got this degree. Boom, boom, boom. I've been doing this. And for whatever reason, like, they didn't understand, like, the word I was coming from. They didn't understand startups. They didn't understand business development. And so I'm trying to educate them, but it's just, like, not resonating. So I'm getting told, no, 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 no. Or do this and do that. And I'm just like, man, like, you know, am I the guy who I thought I was? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm trying to fight those thoughts because I I, I know that I am, but like the world that is telling me that I'm not can in a way, you know what I'm saying? Like the situations are, t- are kind of fighting against me. So um, I had to kind of pull myself out of that funk and I had to kind of get back to doing the things that I was, that I would do. And I had to also realize that you can be like depressed and unhappy and be okay. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but I realized that I kind of stood to this funk because I took myself away from things that I really enjoyed. I think when people lose their jobs or they're not in a position where they want to be, they think, oh, I got to extract myself from the things I enjoy to get what I want. So I stopped playing basketball. You know what I'm saying? I stopped going out with friends. I stopped talking to girls, you know what I'm saying, consistently. I just I just stopped and I'll say, yo, if I'm not looking for a job, I'm I'm messing up out here. Mm-hmm. If, I ain't, if I ain't applying to 100 jobs a day, I'm really like, forget, forget everything else. You know what I'm saying? But really looking back, that wasn't a thing to do. And when I started playing basketball again, when I started like playing, going out with my, with my friends and started doing things I, I was used to, you know, I started being happier again. I started to kind of like relieve that stress and I, I regained that confidence in a way. And so when I went in for that next interview, I brought this energy. Mm-hmm. People don't like to hire sad people. They do not. Or people I who they feel that. are desperate. <laughs> yes. They can sense they can the sense desperation it. and the sadness you know wafting off of you. Exactly. Like, why you want this job? Uh, because, uh, you know what I'm saying? I, like, chill. <laughs> you know, <laughs> chill. I want this job because I'm qualified. Right. And, I, and, I, and I, I deserve to be here. And um, I got the skill set. And when I came with that energy, getting that consulting job was, was 
was a cakewalk. And I think you highlighted on something that is important for this 26er population because we're used to like saying, okay, this is what I want. I'm going to set my sights on. I'm going to give it 110% and everybody's going to buy in. Yeah. And that does not always happen no. instantaneously. It doesn't matter if you have the, the, the resume to match, the credentials, the work ethic. Sometimes people re- will look at you with the head tilt like, I don't get it. Like, I, I don't, you know, I don't see what you see. or I don't know how you fit here. Um, yeah. And that can be a joy stealer and a, a confidence diminisher. I don't even know if diminisher is a, a real word. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. like literally you're like, wait, I, you know. Everything I've set my mind to, I've done. Yeah. And when you hit that roadblock, um, it really challenges you from a confidence perspective and from a peace perspective. Yeah. And like you said, I think we've all been through that where you shut yourself off from the outside world. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's like, I can't focus on anything else until I get this peace in order. Not knowing that that social interaction, that sense of community and having those outlets is going to help you yeah. and actually accelerate the process, even though it feels counterintuitive in the moment. Yeah. And I mean, and to that point, um, just do the things that are healthy for you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it does make sense to cut out some things, maybe like maybe social media. Like right, right. now, I don't, I'm not on social media. Not because I'm going through a bad time, but just because I'm trying to focus on my company and myself and, and growth and social media. is like, it's a lot going on there. It is a whole lot going on. That conversation, but like, yeah, I, you know, and I had to just pull myself back for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I think, but continue to practice those healthy habits that make you happy and, and truly bring you joy and, and truly fulfill your time and, and feel you. Those things you don't you don't pull away from. Those are things you you keep doing, um, and you keep that consistency in your schedule because that brings what I just said consistency, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's something to be said for having consistency, having a schedule during those down times because they give you the structure to kind of like go harder. Um, on what you're trying to pursue. And one thing I realized about myself is that the more I have on my plate, the better I perform. Same. Which is so weird. Mm-hmm. You know, going back until when I was in high school, I had those nine classes my, 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 my first semester. Those are the most classes I had ever taken. And those that's also the highest GPA I had ever had. To this day, I credit that semester in particular to getting into Columbia. Wow. Yeah, for sure. Because I was grinding. Like, Nine classes, student council, Memphis prep, Memphis challenge. These are different programs mm-hmm. I was in. I was I was doing all that and I was killing it. Um, yeah, man, and it, it just felt it just felt right. Right, you know? and I think I try to explain this to people when they're like, "Oh, you're always doing so much." There's a sense of urgency that comes with that. Yeah. So it's not as easy to waste your time because you can't. It's yeah. like I can't blow a day off because do you know how it's a domino effect. If yeah. I blow this day off and I don't do X, Y, and Z, then ABC can't get done. Exactly. And then I'm just gonna be farther in the hole. And you know, I, I try to encourage people all the time, like just start. It doesn't mean that you're giving 110 to everything every day. Yeah. When you have those various commitments, be it academic, professional, passion projects, entrepreneurship, whatever, you have to become a regimented person. Yeah. And it pushes you in a way that just having all this time on your hands and maybe one one obligation, it just won't. It won't do it. Yeah, for sure. Because like when I was applying for jobs and I was dedicated the whole day to it, I would get lazy. I would get sad. I might go lay down. You know what I'm saying? But if I'm like, I got to like, you know, have this phone call and then I got to go play basketball. It's like, OK, when I give in the morning, I got to knock out those, go ahead and knock out those mm-hmm. essays, knock out those applications because I know I, I got to go and do this. So it just it just, it just adds routine. It adds like that sense of urgency, like like you said. So, for sure. Yeah. So let's talk about Luya Care. 
Yes. Your company. Yes. So tell us what Luya Care is, and then we'll get into how you decided to, to form it. Awesome. So Luya is a one-stop shop for the healthiest brands in personal care, beauty, and grooming for Black consumers. Um, so we sell skin, hair, and body products for men and women, mm-hmm. and our brands are distributed throughout the U.S. So we have six brands on board right now. All products made with healthy, natural, organic, and vegan products. Um, and really, I think my goal here is to just kind of change the way that we consume personal care products um, and adventure products overall. So what drew you to this space specifically? Great question. Um, where do I start here? So I grew my hair out in 2016 or 2015. I grew my hair out. And I grew my hair out because I was looking at pictures of like Travis Scott and I think of ASAP Rocky. Mm-hmm. And um, again, I'm coming from Memphis, you know, so I come from this very, my family, man, they, they instill values in me, you know, they, they instill <laughs> values in me. That's all I got to say. And so growing up as a black man, you kind of learn a few rules, like don't grow your hair out, don't get braids, don't get earrings, don't get gold teeth. Those, those actually my, my main, <laughs> those are my main things growing up. My grandma was telling my mom, no, don't get braids slash jerry curl, don't get earrings and the don't get gold curl. teeth. Right. And I was and I was I got older. And by this time I had gone through Columbia, you know, some of my views are changing. And I see and I see ASAP Rock and I see and I see um, who did I just say? Travis Scott. And uh, I'm like, man, I've never experienced life with my hair before and and I can grow my hair, you know, and I thought I was I was like, wow, you know, I've never experienced life with my own hair having any length because of this, like, you know, I guess like fear or this like, mm-hmm. you know, this like stipulation that I have to, has been placed on me because, you know, they're trying to protect me, I guess, because I don't, I don't want to be as imposing or whatever, or just like be clean shaven as, as a black male. But like, but like, why? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, you know, why not? And um, so I grew my hair out because I want to experience it. And what I realized growing up was I didn't know how to take care of it. I had all these questions around like, you know, what do I do to take care of it? Like, what is conditioning about? What is shampooing about? And there's this whole education around it that I just did know. And part of that was like products. So I started, I started asking my friends. And I started a lot, asking a lot of my of my homegirls. And they're giving me all these recommendations, man. It's like, you know, shampooing, shampoo like once a week, twice a week mm-hmm. at most. Like condition more often. And you, you use these oils, you use this. And I, I was just surprised at just how much I didn't know about myself and how to take care of myself, right? It was fascinating to me. But on top of that, um, buying products and product recommendations. So I keep you know, I talk to folks, I'll talk to folks for months about all kinds of products. And after months of talking to people and kind of taking all this information in, I uh I had my regimen down. I was like, what am I gonna buy? You know, so I got you know, my hair shampoo, my conditioner, my hair butter, whatever. I'm like, all right, I'm good. I'm good. You know what I mean? And for me, I try to be conscious of like what I consume. No matter what it is, like food, mm-hmm. products, whatever. And so one day I'm at my crib and I turn my bottle around and I read the ingredients. I read the label. And I'm like, what in the heck is this? <laughs> All things you can't pronounce. I could not pronounce anything. And so I'm looking at it, I'm like, yo, this cannot be healthy for me. This, it can't be healthy for me. And sure enough, I go online and five minutes of research. Not even five minutes, you find tons of articles and research that link hair, skin, and body products to skin irritation, hair loss, illness, like real illness, especially when it comes to like black women and black people as a whole. Yes. And the reason why I say black women is because you don't find so much information about on black men when it comes to personal care, beauty and grooming. You just don't. Um, because black men just do whatever black women do. Right. Um, but it's shocking, you know, the, the stats around products and like what's in them that links to like these different illnesses especially in like the black community and I just saw like I just saw it as like for one okay it's already hard enough for me to like know what to do in the first place and to find the products but 
now the ingredients that are market towards me aren't healthy. Mm-hmm. So we walk into these, into these like beauty stores, these supply stores, and we see we'll see our faces on these products, but but like what's behind those brands? Who's behind those brands? And they try to put the ethnic colors on the, the, the label and put shea butter. Yeah. <laughs> And listen, y'all, look, like that's marketing. Mm -hmm. They attract us in with like scents and colors and imagery. But those things, they're marketed towards us, but they don't cater to us. That's a difference. Say that again. Those things are marketed towards us, but aren't catered towards us, right? So people can market something to you all day. It don't mean it's good for you. Right. You know what I mean? If if I come and market, you know, um, hot dogs made out of plastic to you, okay, it'll look good. Try eating it for a few years and see how it works out for Mm -hmm. you. You know what I'm saying? And so I saw this gap in the market of like, okay, it's hard to find products in the first place that cater to you and that speak to you. And then when you find them, they're not healthy for you. They're they're counterproductive. Um, And and there's there's just a huge like, like gap in the market. And consumers now, like we don't go for the for that for those old tricks anymore. You can't just slap a celebrity face on it or a black face and we just we just gonna buy it. We gotta like know who's behind it. We gotta like know what's behind it. Right. And we gotta like know what's in it. Especially like the millennial generation, right? We question everything. We question the food we eat. We question our education. We question why we do the things that we do. We question sexuality. We, we question all these things. Personal care, beauty and grooming is no different. And the way consumers consume across the, the entire landscape is inevitably going to change and it's changing right now. And those old days of like, just like throw anything into, into our products, put like a cool, some cool branding behind it, some cool marketing, and we, we just going to buy it. Those days are coming to an, to an end. And with Luya, you know, we have thoroughly vetted products that are made with black consumers, especially in mind. Healthy ingredients, natural ingredients. And the reason why they work so well and they're so effective is because they're made by people like us. Mm-hmm. All of our brands are black, a black owned brand. And I'm, I'm proud to say that because no one understands your your needs more than you. Absolutely. You know, and I think a huge problem that we've been having um, in our community when it comes to like, buying products and like finding the right things. Um, and, and let me just say this. I know one brand is going to be everything to everybody, you know, but a huge part of it is that we haven't been been served products that are made by us. You know, we've been serving these subpar, subpar products and getting subpar results. Right. And like these companies are not sitting around in a meeting saying, yeah. you know, this this is a population. We need to meet their needs. Mm-hmm. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, did you, you know, do you guys know they're looking at the statistics that they hired some market research company to, to provide or some in-house team of analysts. And they're saying black folks spend X amount of money. Yeah. On, you know, natural hair or skin care or what have you. And here's the market and how much of that market share can we get? Yeah. Now, how can we mass produce products to mm-hmm. them? What is the branding going to be? What are the colors going to be? Who are we going to put yeah. in the commercial on the posters and get it out there? Yeah, if they're not attracts them. Yeah, exactly. It's not. It's all a money game. Yeah. It's it's, it's, it's the McDonald's of personal care. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, and, and looking at numbers and stats, um, this research institute, I think Silent Spring did a study a few years ago and they tested products that, that were targeted towards like black women. They found that 84 percent contained um, toxic chemicals, you know, in the ingredients. And within those, within those products, 80%, 80 plus percent of the, of the toxic ingredients weren't listed on the label. They're hidden behind like fragrances and things that like you wouldn't even think of. So like, you know, we're buying these products and we think just because like, oh, it's green or it smells like, like peach or it smells like this. Oh, it's, it's good for me. It, it got a lot of bubbles. So it's clean. That's not always the case, you know, and I think a, it's, it's a huge mission of mine to really educate and inform consumers of just like, you know, don't be fooled by the marketing. Um, and that's happening a lot with this newer generation. But again, I'm, it, and it's not our fault. You mm-hmm. know, we know we don't. Well, 
what we, what we know and we don't know what we don't know. But again, we got to have a place where we can go and just like shop with peace of mind. Right. Knowing that whatever you buy is going to be healthy, promoting self-love and caring for you. And that's what Louie is. We, I'm intentional about what's on there. I'm intentional about who we partner with. I'm intentional about all of our brands and our brands themselves. Our brands go hard for their products. They work hard on these products. They, they put a lot of love, a lot of care, a lot of intention behind these products. And so that's why you get the, the, the results that you do. And that's why I'm so confident in Luya. I'm super confident in it because I'll stack Luya up against any mm-hmm. store out here, Walgreens, Wayne Reed, Sephora, whatever, because I believe in the products and you have to. You know what I mean? If, if you don't believe in your product and like what you and what you bring into the market, then, you know, you're playing games. You're playing games for sure. <laughs> so where does the name come from? That's a great question. That's a great question. Um, so I had this naming workshop in Brooklyn um, about a year and a half, maybe two years ago. And back then I didn't have a name for the company. I just had... Actually, Lugia, as we know it now, and like what it is, it's like a one-stop shop for, for, for brands and personal care. It wasn't even that at that point. But um, had a name workshop, and so we were throwing out all kind of words and all kind of adjectives for, for what we wanted to like the names represent, like love, care, education, a feeling of like finally belonging, and finally like this being for me, and finally, oh, I, you know, these, these guys are speaking, they're catering to me. Um, self-love, self-care, self-care education again. And so we landed on the word hallelujah. Uh, and from hallelujah, we got luya. So it's just, a, it's just a feeling of like when you come, it's like, okay, wow, like finally, this is for me. They think about me. Catered to me is healthy. It's here. You know, I grew up in church and I still would not have put that together. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, man. Hallelujah. That's, that's where it comes from. That's very creative. Yeah. So how did you go about finding, once you came, decided on this business model, how did you mm-hmm. go about finding the brands that you feature through Luya Care? Instagram. Really? Yeah. Instagram is huge, man. And you'll find so many brands on there. Um, I was actually very surprised and because when I started this, this with this idea, I thought that, that there weren't very many Black-owned brands out there that mm-hmm. made great products, but there are actually a ton. There are actually so many. Um, not all of them have the scale of like these bigger brands, but like there are there are a lot out there. And so I found, excuse me, a lot um, through Instagram and I would just reach out, go to the website, email the CEO, and we just have a conversation. And I would tell them about Luya, tell them about the market that I see. Um, and, and the problem that I saw too is that with Instagram, you found all these accounts. They mm-hmm. all got 5,000 plus followers. They all get different websites. But as, as black consumers or as consumers, period, it's hard to find them. Right. It's overwhelming. Too. Y'all are operating in silos. I got to go here for my, for my lotion. I got to go here for my hair butter. I got to go here for my, you know what I'm saying? So, Luya, I just see it as an opportunity to put the best of the best into one place. So, as a consumer, I just save you the headache of like, going and shopping around, especially if you're a conscious consumer like, like today's consumers where you want to buy the best and healthiest products. So we don't want to stop shop. Come shop with peace of mind. And we don't have a million brands. We got a few brands. You know what I mean? And I think it's important to say that because sometimes when you go to like, let's say like an Amazon mm-hmm. or whatever, you can find healthy, healthy brands, healthy products, but you got to like know what you're looking for. Right. So if I go and type, I type in like healthy shampoo, I got a hundred shampoos. Which one I'm going to choose? Well, Lugia, right now we got three options. So you can choose this one, this one, this one. If you don't mm-hmm. like that one, choose this one. So it's just like, it's an easier uh, decision to make. You know what I mean? And I sure. think that's, there's, that, that's important for where we are in our consumer cycle, knowing that as a larger consumer demographic, we're not as educated quite yet um, as we could be on like these like healthier products. Um, and as time goes on, we'll, we'll add more. But right now, I don't want to overwhelm consumers. Mm-hmm. Just come in, chill, and like, buy what you like. Well, it's funny that you brought up Amazon because I was going to ask a question about that. So one of the other things about this generation is while we like to... 
you know, educate ourselves and we question everything. We also like things. We're a microwave generation. We like things at the speed of light. Like we want them immediately, that instant gratification. And oftentimes people make decisions not based on quality, but speed of delivery. So it's like, oh, can I get this on Amazon? Okay, not. Well, let me see what's on Amazon because that prime is going to be at my door, Mm -hmm. you know, tomorrow or in two days. So how do you compete with that? That whole instant, you know, same day, next day delivery, easy, easy to get. I can see 5,000 reviews on something and you're now building this brand from the ground up and offering great customer service, but it may not be a match to a behemoth like Amazon. Yeah, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Straight up, it's hard because Amazon, from an e-commerce perspective, has really changed the game. That free shipping is real. Right. Um, and this is something I'm still figuring out to this day. I'm not going to say I haven't figured it out. But I think one thing that I try to do is, is to create content and a narrative that resonates. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if people can see themselves in Luya, and they do, and they see themselves in our content, and um, they believe in our vision and our mission, then they buy into that. Mm-hmm. Right. So people will buy people buy into stories. People buy into narratives. You know, that's part of like the marketing of brands It's like creating. But but it, it has to be genuine. I think that's my whole thing with like these new age consumers is that like if you're going to market to me or, or you're going to put something in front of me, make sure it's genuine. Make sure that these you know, these products are actually made in the Caribbean or actually made in Africa or like they're actually produced, you know, with this pure intention in mind. And I think when people see Luya, they get that. Right. So I figured out. Way ahead of time. I cannot offer y'all free shipping. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anybody listening, happening. we ain't got free shipping right now. You know, give me a few years, you know, we'll, we'll get there. But right now, we just don't have free shipping. But that can't stop me from like, from trying, you know. We still have this one-stop shop that caters to like your demographic. We still have, I think, the best selection of products. You know, the products are still effective. They work. Um, And we have a real genuine vision and purpose and mission here to make healthy consumption contagious especially among black consumers. I, I just gave you the numbers. Like we, we, we're literally ill based off of the products that we're, that we're consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that that study also showed that the products that we consume affect our metabolism and our, our like reproductive system for like women. Like, Absolutely. It's a real thing. Like it's a real thing. I, I, I kid you not, if, if you're interested to look this up, just go on Google like black toxic toxic hair products and you will see the real effects of it. Um, so getting people to, to buy into like what Luya is, what our purpose is, I think is, is my way of kind of dif- differentiating ourselves. Yeah. And I mean, for the record, you know, I want to make sure we highlight just the importance of supporting our own. Yeah. You yeah, might have sure. to pay for the shipping, but this is keeping money and building enterprise within our communities. 100%. It's easy to, and I mean, I won't be hypocritical. Like I shop on Amazon all the time, same, right? same. all the time. That prime is real, but I'm making saying. a conscious decision to say, not only is this brand owned by somebody who looks like me, so I'm supporting my com- my own community, mm-hmm. but also it's a brand that cares and is catering to me in addition mm-hmm. to marketing to me. And I know that they have my health in mind, my well-being in mind, which is not the case at these these larger companies. So I think that's when we need to do a better job of just stop looking at like the dollars and cents yeah. and realize not only am I paying for quality, but I'm putting money into the culture, into the culture. Yeah. And it, we need to be uh, we need to mobilize more in, in that instance, I think. Yeah. And not only that, I think we should also talk about, you know, self-love in the black community is at an all-time high mm-hmm. and it's growing, especially over the past, like, like let's say decade. If we can just look at like the natural hair movement. Um, this observation is not, you know, people outside of our community aren't blind to this. So, you know, if, if we don't take the time as 
within our community, the black community, to like capitalize on this ourselves mm-hmm. and feed ourselves, someone else will. For sure. This market is here. It's wide open. So I see this also. It's like, yo, if I don't do it now, somebody's going to do it. You know what I mean? And even if, if it's not me, I just want to be someone of the community to serve the community. Mm-hmm. And right now, you know, I'm doing it through Luya. If there's someone else who wants to come along and do it, first of all, every, everybody can eat. Everyone, everyone that can is eat. the truth. I'm, I'm a personal believer in the law of universal abundance. There's yeah. enough for everybody. Yeah, shout out to all of the other, like, you know, Black-owned markets out there, like Black and Green, um, all, the, all the other brands out there. But I'm just saying, like, there is a market here. And there's been so many times throughout history where black people and black culture has created these these entire markets and industries, but we haven't been able to capitalize on them. And I think we're in one right now mm-hmm. when it comes to personal care, beauty and grooming. And we see the brands that have popped up, bigger brands that have popped up over the past decade were really showing us like Carol's daughter, like Shea Marshall, like Bevel. We hear... So, like, let's take advantage. Let's, let's do the right thing. You know what I mean? Let's, sure. let's make that small sacrifice of getting your products two days later to make sure they're like, you know, we're, we're, we're promoting our own and feeding our own, you know? So let me ask you this question since you brought up Carol's daughter and, and Bevel. Um, and you come from the VC world and all that uh. great stuff. You, you, you might know what's coming. <laughs> How do you feel? about, you know, these brands that we get behind and it's like, yes, you know, black owned business, whatever. And then they sell, they, they sell to a larger corporate, all the big companies we were just talking about that are yeah. not looking out for us. How do yeah. you feel about that? I mean, if, if Luya got to the point now, you know, now if you get all, you know, once you get all big and you're multimillionaire, somebody's going to pull right. this up and yeah. see what you said back then. We're gonna get if, there if, too. If, when you get to that point where you could go public yeah. or be acquired and a Procter and Gamble came, you know, or another major brand and said, um, we want you. Yeah. We're just going to buy you out. You can come take a, you know, a vanity position for a year or two and then do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Would you consider that? And I'm saying that knowing that your yeah. answer could change over yeah. time. Yeah, people change for sure. So here's what I'll say, say about that. Um, those brands and those entrepreneurs, those are innovators. Mm-hmm. Like the founders of Carol's Daughter, Bevel, um, Rich, Shea Moisture. You know, I think history, we, we got to mention their names in, in the same likes of like a, uh, what is her name? Who, who made the the uh, the hot comb or whatever? Madam C.J. Walker. Wow. Yeah, I'm terrible. Uh, Madam C.J. Walker, right? Like they're innovators. And I thought about this a lot over the past few months too. I'm like, man, like they sold their companies. But I think one thing that we got to, that I, that I realized is that they come from a different generation. You know what I mean? Like I just, I just t- talked about my grandma and how she was a sharecropper, right? They're a f- they're around her same age, maybe a little bit younger, but imagine coming from like the mud, coming up, creating this like multi-million, billion dollar company and having the opportunity to acquire like real wealth. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like even what they went through in their entrepreneurial journey over like those 20, 30 years, because now we have even like this kind of like microwave growth ecosystem where companies are like just huge scale in like five years. Yes. That's new. That's new. That's For a sure. privilege of our generation. Back then, you really had to like really be a hard on like hustling out your door, hustling out the, you know what I'm saying? Like selling FUBU hats. Like, like out real, of the like, trunk and, of your like, car. and that was really like really their thing. Um, and so for me, I never try to, I try my best not to judge somebody because I'm not in their shoes. Mm-hmm. I have no idea like what the plan is, you know, for the money that they, that they get from selling their company. I have no idea what their experiences were. I had no, I have no idea of like what their growth potential was after that. Like what was their company actually doing? Like we as consumers, we can sit here and judge it all day. Uh, and we have a right to because we, we, we put our money there, but what's their perspective? You know, go and hear their stories and, and then and make, and make your decisions. Now, I think 
the reason why it's so hard for consumers to accept that is because, especially when it comes to like a, 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 a Kira's Daughter and a Shea Moisture, it's because those brands were built off the culture mm-hmm. in a very real way. Like those brands were actually built in New York City and actually built in Harlem and we, they were actually hustling out the side door. And so we saw these brands grow uh, and those brands served us and we gave them our dollars. Like, you know, they're, they're a part of our culture, like just straight up, you know, and for the first time, maybe not the first time, but you know, they were some of the few entrepreneurs that we knew who really were able to kind of take our market um, as and be black entrepreneurs and serve the black community. And so like, man, we, we put this whole conglomerate, boom, boom, and you just going to sell it? Right. You're going to sell it like that for real? Y'all, y'all sold out. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's not like that. You know what I mean? Like, and like, um, like, you know, you know like, like, what's their plan? I'm not losing my train of thought here, but. Um, Looking at the long game, we we don't we yeah. Don't know. What's the long game? We here? Demarcus, the producer of the show, and I had we were having this conversation about Tristan Walker. It's yeah. you know, it's like we all were like, "Bevel, this is amazing!" Like he's building something great. And then when that announcement came down, you know, there was that initial moment of like, "Man, yeah." But you don't know what his plan is for that money. What his next act is going to look like? It could be a part of a greater strategy, or it could not. It could be exactly what you said. Yeah, great, building that generational wealth, and it's like I'm cash now, and that's it. But it's hard to digest sometimes, but we are, we are not in a position to say that you don't have the right to do that. Yeah. And, and let me be clear, it, it should be hard to, to digest mm-hmm. because um, in this country, we haven't owned anything. Mm-hmm. And to a large extent, we don't own anything. So when we, when we, when we do build something up, you know, it's hard to accept the fact that, that we're going to sell it. And again, this idea of like selling our culture, it's just like, man, it, it, I feel like as black people, we, we already feel like our culture is being like appropriated so much by these big brands, whether it be in personal care or not, by these clothing brands, by the music industry. You know, it's always being appropriate. It's already been capitalized on and we're like not profiting off of it. Um, so it's hard to accept. But, you know, the founder of Shea Moisture Rich, like he just started a VC fund where he's yes. investing in like female entrepreneurs. Like that's huge. Absolutely. So maybe he's taking that, you know, 500 mil, whatever he made. If if, if he's like, yo, okay, Shea Moisture has, has reached his peak. I've done everything I can with it. You know what I mean? I could keep making money as a company, but... You know, Shea Moisture, we can only be so big as a as one entity. Now, if I can go put a, a one mil and five hundred companies and have five hundred one billion dollar companies, now now that that's that's a new that's a new economy. Mm-hmm. That's new. That's a new landscape. You see what I'm saying? So all I'm saying is I don't know the answer. You know, um, and I'm not in their shoes. Right. So. I, I got to recognize them for, for who they are, for what they've done, for them paving way for Aluya to exist, for opening up this market, um, for being, for bringing to market the the imagery and the products to like show black folks that like we here, you deserve to be catered to, you deserve to be loved, you deserve, you deserve to buy into yourself. Now let's, let's, take, let's take it to the next level. Absolutely. Yeah. So shifting gears, describe a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Oh man, that's a great question. Um, and I would... I would love to talk about this under the context of like Luya. And I, what, I, what I would say is like, I, as an entrepreneur, that happens all the time. Oh, yes, for sure. Um, and really, it just comes down to like getting things done. I, I can't like hit that enough. Sometimes you just got to get stuff done. But right now, um, outside of Luya, I'm actually working on this 110th anniversary for my fraternity. So Alpha Phi Alpha. And we're turn, returning 110 years at Columbia, my chapter eight of chapter eight of the Jewel chapter. Shout out to y'all. So returning 110 years, man. And it's been a lot to like plan this this reunion and recently I had to or we had to create this 110 packet which essentially shows our history of the past 110 years imagery captions um, it had to be designed and my committee 
you know, it's, there, there aren't a lot of us, none of us are designers. And I, I hired this designer to, to bring my vision for the packet to life about a month ago. And unfortunately, I didn't communicate well enough, like what I wanted. And so what, I, what was returned to me just wasn't it. It just wasn't in it. there. I got it back and I was like, baby girl, this ain't <laughs> it right here. You know what I'm saying? And so, but we, we were in crunch time. And so I was having a, a conversation with, with one of my older brothers, older fraternity brothers. And he was like, yo, you got to you got to you got to show people what you want. You got to bring the vision to life. And I literally stayed up it's like two o'clock in the morning for like a week straight, just like designing this packet um, in PowerPoint, actually, to hand off to a real designer to put into like the real format. And I've never designed a packet before. You know, I've never put something together like that before. And just like bringing together all this imagery bringing together just like a, this book account of format to do it. Um, I had never done it before, you know what I'm saying? But again, it's just a matter of like figuring out a way to get it done and just doing it. So that's something I'm proud of that, that was done recently. The packet is done now. A few small edits left. Um, and I was able to hand off to, to a designer. She put the exact thing I wanted. It's beautiful. But you know, just like not making excuses, man. It's like, it's what I'm all about. Just like no, no excuses. So, which is a full circle moment because that's how we started the interview. Yeah. Getting stuff done no matter what. Yeah. Seeing, instead of seeing a challenging an opportunity and rising to the occasion. Yeah. I mean, cause everything is going to be, it's going to be hard. Life is hard. Shout, shout out to O2. Life is hard, man. You know what I mean? So I could have like looked at Luya and be like, how am, how am I going to get these brands on? By the way, Luya, when I first started like bringing these brands on, I didn't even have a website. So you're just like the I'm gift calling, of gab, just yo, calling them. I'm on the phone like, yo, I love your brand. Here's my vision. <laughs> like for real, I'm not, like, literally, I didn't, I didn't have a website. I didn't have a landing page. I didn't have a social media presence. I just had like faith and belief. You know what I'm saying? And when, when these brands started agreeing to work with me, that's when I, that's when I knew I was like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. You knew you were on to something. I was on to something. Um, and there are always going to be setbacks, right? So when I launched Luya, we have six brands now, but I launched with two brands. Mm -hmm. I was supposed to launch with like five brands. I think the two weeks leading up to me launching the website, three brands like dropped out or something like that. Yeah. And it's just like, and so I had to sit back and I was like, okay, okay. How long am I, am I going to prolong this launch? You know, before I, I just put it out there, you know what I'm saying? Because I've been telling folks for a year, I'm working on Luya, I'm working on this, boom, boom. At some point, you, you got to stop talking and start doing it. just got to pull the trigger, yes. You know what I mean? So, and I was like, what's, what's my real goal here? My real goal is to provide a place where consumers can go to buy healthier products, you know? So what that looks like, it ain't got to be perfect and it's, and it's never going to be perfect, but I got to do something. I got to start somewhere. And I think when, it's, when it comes to starting a company, um, I had a guy call me about this the other day. It's like, you're not always going to be, always going to be able to do everything from day one. I can't have free shipping from day one. I can't mm -hmm. have personalized boxes from day one. I can't have this super robust website from day one, but I can have a website that's like clean and works. I can have products from two brands that serve the purpose that they serve and just kind of ride, ride that out until I bring more on. You see what I'm saying? Yep. It's kind of figuring out like, what's that first thing? Like, what can I control? What can I do? And then doing that, that minimum viable, viable product and putting that out there and then and then going. Yeah, I, I've said it on this show before. One of my favorite quotes is, if your brand is perfect when you launched, you waited too long. Yeah. Like, it's, it's you at some point, you just have to make a decision that we're going to learn the rest as we go and expand um, and diversify. But here's what the men, like you said, the minimum viable product is yeah. to get started. Yeah, I, I think it's important for like black entrepreneurs to hear that, especially because, you know, we, we feel this pressure to be perfect mm -hmm. when we launch. But like, man, sometimes you got to you just got to figure it out as you go and just put it out there. Just just be vulnerable. Just do it. 
and just go for it. Um, because pursuing perfection will stagnate you forever. Forever. Trust me. Like Louis' website could always be better. We could always have more brands. The descriptions could always be more robust. The videos could always be more thorough. But at some point, you just got to put it out there. You just got to do it. Um, I want to share a story about this. If you mind. Go for it. Um, so speaking of videos, I sent a guy some products a few months ago and he, uh, he didn't, he used, he used the products in a video, but he didn't shout us out. It was a huge learning experience. It was, it was, I was like, wow, but he has so many followers on YouTube. Um, again, a matter of like finding a way and just like, just making the best out of the, out of the worst or out of the least. So I extracted this video, cut it down from 15 minutes to a minute and uploaded it to um, Instagram and to Facebook. In the past like we can have, this video went viral on Facebook. Wow. I'm at like 2.3 million views on Facebook of this video. I've been getting the, mo the most consistent sales. Really? Yeah, ever. And it's, it's, it's been amazing to see, just to see how the content is resonating and then see people buying the products and loving the products. Um, I guess I'm telling a story to say like, things just aren't always gonna work out. Like in my mind, I'm gonna send these products. He gonna shout us out on his, on his videos. One would think, it's yes. on YouTube. Oh, I'm gonna get 200K views. Are we on? None of that happened. I got no website business and, he, I, and I sent him $100 worth of products. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So it's just a matter of like finding a way like, and I had never really edited a video like that for real, for real, like working with audio, you know, chopping it down, extracting it. It was a lot. But like as an entrepreneur, you got to just like get stuff done, man. I'm telling you. Black entrepreneurs just get it done. Don't make no excuses. It's a lot you're not going to know. You're not going to have money. You're not going to have resources. You might even have folks in your circle who can tell you what to do, but you just got to do it. You just got to do it. That's the that's a word right there. Yeah, 100%. For sure. So, and DeMarcus is waving his hand in the background. <laughs> so before we let you get out of here, what's on the horizon for Carlos and for Louis Care? That's a great, that's a great question. Um, so for Carlos, man, Carlos is always growing. Carlos is always developing um, self-love, self-care, and just um, extending, you know, positive energy throughout. Um, I recently got my yoga certifications. I'm a yoga instructor now, so. Oh, you getting your zen on. Yeah, man. If you guys ever want to come to like, so I get my training at Yoga to the People. So if you guys are in New York City, um, I think we have a few a few studios out in, in um, Berkeley and San Francisco too. So come to yoga. Uh, I actually I encourage black folks to go to yoga a lot. Um, it's a very peaceful environment, a lot of a space for like self-growth. So Carlos is always growing, always challenging himself. As far as Luya goes, we're just continuing on that mission, man, and that continuously figuring things out. So Luya isn't perfect. Um, it's never going to be, but we're always thinking about the consumer. We're always putting our best intention, our most genuine intention behind our products and always love and care and attention behind our delivery. So I would say, you know, sign up with us, ride with us, follow our our trajectory, follow our adventure. Um, and we, we would love to have you. It's www.luya.care for those who want to go to the website. Again, that's www.luya.care. So that's where, that's where the care comes from. Mm -hmm. .com was taken. I, I don't know how to bread to go and get it. So <laughs> .care is what it is because I care about y'all. I love when you, you, know keep that you keep it real though. Yeah, I care about us. So it's <laughs> luya.care. And uh, I'm actually starting another company soon. Really? In addition to Luya. So I'm starting a company around 360 Waves. Okay. And, uh, yeah, man. And it, yeah, it's a market that within within Luya, man, I found it's, it's, this, it's this entire community um, that hasn't really been spoken to, hasn't really been served. And I, I don't want to say too much because I know y'all out there lurking in the shadows trying to steal yeah, my ideas. Yeah, so. just leave it right there. You know don't, don't, don't give no more. But <laughs> if you're interested, visit weswimmen.com. That's W-E-S-W-M-N.com. We got some special comments. That's all I got to say. You got waves. You're trying to get them. It's been too hard for too long. We coming. 
And that's why I love this show, man. That's why I love it. We we know we can talk about Columbia, going to prep school. Yeah. We can also talk about waves. Yes, 100%. <laughs> you see me spinning over here. This, this is not a oh, mistake. Yeah, you, came, like, you came with the waves. Yeah, yeah. I, we oh, noticed. Wow. That was one of the first things we, we talked about. We <laughs> yeah. rolled in through the door. Yeah. Okay, so www.luya.care. Yep. I want to make sure that people got that. Not .com, mm-hmm. .care. .care. And, and you already said you're not active on social media as an individual. right? As an individual, no. Um, okay. At the moment... I will be to stop promoting 110 again, but um, on social media, we're at Luya.care on Instagram um, and at We Swimming, and that's at W E S W M N for the new brand. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and I felt from, the, from when we spoke on the phone to now, I felt your intensity. Yeah. And you're just one of those people, you know, you have those people in your life where you're like, Carlos is going to be okay. Like, you're, you're yeah. going to do major things. And I, and I know that because you have the commitment to it and the, and the diligence and the belief that the mindset to make it happen. I appreciate it. And that's what December 26th was all about. Yeah. So to, thank you for coming. So to our listeners, make sure you go check out Luya.care. Listen, support our own. Take a look at the product offerings, the brands. And it's not just about supporting, but it's also about Mm self-care and buying products that are made for us um, and are made to heal us, Mm -hmm. not harm us So and to feed us. So make sure you check that out. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe to this podcast. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.